Welcome back to For FinTech's Sake. I'm Zach Anderson Pettit, U.S. Content Director at Money 2020 and your unqualified host. This week, we welcome the always entertaining and engaging Eli Walks to the show. Eli's co-founder and CEO at Footprint. What is Footprint? Footprint does frictionless identity verification and PII vaulting. Onboard users with one click of a button and offload handling of sensitive data. Or at least that's what their website says. We got into it though. We get into all the levels of nerdiness and differentiation that Footprint provides and all of the other fun pieces when it comes to maybe a multitude of their competitors, things along those lines. Uh, But we cover the gamut. If you want to jump to a specific piece of the conversation, though, take a gander at Dem Dare show notes. We've recently started breaking down the show by topic in the notes so you can hop into specific subjects if you're just dying to get to a specific place. And thank you to Navin before we start for making this episode possible. Navin, formerly TripActions, is an all-in-one travel corporate card and expense management solution that provides real-time visibility, control, and cost savings. Yes, it does all those things. Stay tuned to hear more about Navin. And if you're just dying to find out right now, go into the show notes and click navin.com, their website that is visible in the show notes. Did I mention the show notes? And now my conversation with Eli Walks. So you were catching me up on uh, a pricing war um, and everything else that is your life. Before we get to the pricing war, let's like, let's, let's, let's do this the way that we would normally do this if we weren't actually friends and uh, gigantic nerds that spend time together. (laughs) Um, So Eli, Take me back to the youth. Take me back to like the early days and uh, give us a little bit of a sense of like you and your formation and why you're, you know, the weird fuck that I'm sitting here with today. Can I bring in my therapist as an expert witness? Uh, I thought I was your therapist. I mean, I thought that's kind of like why we were doing this. But I I, I like you saying take me back to the youth. It it infers that uh, I'm older and that of more legitimacy. Just eat it. Just pull it all the way there. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Just get comfortable with it. it. Make out with it. it. Yeah. Well, there we go. First time. Um, <laughs> I grew up in Philadelphia, which uh good city. Uh, I won't give the same plugs plug for Philly that I gave for Athletic Greens. Like it, it's a it's a very respectable. <laughs> Philly didn't city. pay you the same. Philly, no, I don't have a similar endorsement deal with Philly. <laughs> We're gonna. I, I'm also not sure what I could really do. I don't currently live. I root for their sports team. I, I don't know what referral code I can get there, but we'll work. Maybe we'll work on that after. The you pod. can you can just like say "Go Eagles" out loud. Yeah, I could, but but I won't. Yeah, they're gonna have to. They're gonna. They're gonna have to. Yeah, the, the, if they want to become the official NFL franchise of of like, Eli Watts, they're gonna have to pay up. Yeah, we don't. We don't give that away. We, we can't just give it. No gifts. Um, All right. Well, I'll say go Chiefs without anybody paying me, so we can we can at least like. Now you I know, seem like a bad fan. But you're yeah. a mini, you're a terrible look, look, person. I, I, yeah. I have to stand by my beliefs uh which is you know if you don't endorse me we're not getting a free endorsement i mean at least you're you know you, you stand by your morals I'll, that's I'll, all I'll, i ask i'll shout out i'll shout out sam henke and the process sixers um look what I, that was a great team because it was all about hope not nothing sells better than hope this process sixers were the equivalent of a pre-revenue startup like I they're like say this sounds like your seed round <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah i mean the the process like there's the classic silicon valley russ hanneman clip of like oh no no like why would you earn revenue and to me that was the process sixers like why would you win a game like it, it's it if you keep losing and keep having top draft picks there's the idea of hope versus the second you have one customer everybody gets picky about you know the you know what's the what are the marks Origins, you know, way, way so. Anyways, I digress. Grew up in Philadelphia. <laughs> We're back five minutes later after saying I'm not giving Philly a plug. I gave them a big plug. Grew up there. Well, you at least talked about them. I don't know if you gave them a plug, but <laughs> I still now they can go back and listen and be like, "Wow, I spoke about us for five minutes and didn't give us a full endorsement because because <laughs> we didn't embrace one click KYC on like the Philly Metro." Anyways, grew up there. Um, very young age, like really got was re- really. It sounds stupidly cliche, but like. I really grew up thinking that like technology, you could use tech to make the world a better place. When I was in ninth grade, I read this book where, called. A, the parents like where where the fuck did you get that idea? Because I I thought technology was like yeah, uh, a thing that one could eventually achieve. I don't know. So I I it's it's I mean I think one is like we connect dots backwards. Like I I don't right. have I don't have audio of this. Uh, maybe it's just what I started saying. 
Um, I, I think like the honest, which is honest, like I like that sounds I think that's like a, how humans tell stories and yeah, how our brains work and yeah. why griots are griots and yeah. I I I was a huge history nerd growing up, and um, history is very interesting. It's a lot of pattern matching. It's also quite sad. I I, I think um, <laughs> it's true. Like it, it, you're never gonna put down a history book and be like, I feel good about that. Like you're gonna be like, we've committed sins, and yeah. I. I then read this book called Abundance, and it was written by this guy, Peter Diamandis, founder of X-Rise. Yeah, I've read that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it was kind of the opposite of a history book. Instead of, like, closing each chapter and, like, needing to go on a long walk to cleanse my soul, like, each chapter cleansed my soul. It talked yeah. about how all of these things could change, whether it's energy or health or, or, or finance, and just bring... And it was really inspired. I sent the founder a cold email. He took pity on me and replied. Um and I ended up then spending the rest of my time in high. That was in like ninth grade, and then I spent the rest of my time in high school. But I had a high school version of X Prize, uh, which was a lot of fun, really interesting. Followed that passion. Dude, have you told me this story? I feel like we like. Have drink. I never told you this? I don't. You pretty much when we sit down, we drink and we gossip <laughs> yeah. to the point where I don't know if we've ever gone back and actually. That's why I kind of <laughs> like took us back to this. Is like I'm not sure if I know your entire background. So you were X prizing in high school. It was like X-prizing basically you were like a less douchey teal fellow. Is that what you're <laughs> telling me? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, 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 it was a one of one club. Yeah, it, 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 that is true. We kind of meet up and you assume that I've done. You're like, apparently he has a KYC company. We don't, we don't know. We never talked. Well, I mean, about I it. just believed you. Yeah, you, you know? just, I is, didn't verify your identity. Which is very, yeah. I mean, it, it, we're not on camera right now. When you look like this, it's like that guy probably start. Like he, he he wouldn't have that much. He wouldn't be that confident if he hadn't started. Um, but. Yeah, I, 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 we start, we did, it was the same concept as XPRIZE. So kind of uh, define, it, and honestly, I think XPRIZE offers a very good like thing for company building. That XPRIZE Tell was, people what XPRIZE is. So just XPRIZE, in case they, they know, run, yeah. they, they do moonshot competition. So the history of competitions is really interesting. Dates back to Napoleon doing a competition essentially to like refrigerate food on ships to help. Huh. To, and like competitions are effective. If you put out enough money, people will try to win the money. Um, and like very was different running competitions. Yeah, so like that's X, wild. Okay. X Prize. They did their first one was to get a private rocket in the space twice in a week. They did one to like three x the efficiency of oil spill cleanups after the Gulf of Mexico oil spill. And it's cool. The winning solution ten xed it. And I think the second place solution was like a bunch of tattoo artists because they just knew how like oil interact with water. Whoa. And X Prize had this whole idea that like anybody, it, there are a lot of smart people out there and try to get them to solve things and we we did it we did a similar thing on a much smaller level with high, so we would recruit high school students in the area next part is key insight was you can't try to solve for a solution define a problem and see what people solve sure and i think it's interesting too today when you look at companies i see a lot of solutions out there that like aren't addressing problem i mean we have 55 retool competitors like yeah. it, it, it's remarkable and like i think that's what kind of happens um, and that, so that, that's what we did from X. It, it was the, the first one in Philadelphia about uh, the education gap. We did something about the efficacy and legality of AV car algorithms. We did one in China about food safety. Um, it, it, it sure. Was a, it, it was a, as one does. Yeah, it was. There are stories there, but yeah, it, it was a great. It, it was a really great experience. Um, and then followed that passion for tech out to Stanford. I'm starting to understand the I'm starting to understand many more pieces as to why Eli is Eli <laughs> here across the board in terms yeah. of the technology so, interest, especially. But yeah. it, did you so what did you study then? Because did you study computer science? No, that's I, what I thought. I, I, I didn't think so. Enough. I still don't have GitHub access at the company. Um, <laughs> my, my, my that's co- just for Alex. Yeah, my co-founder, he gets mad. I actually now do, I'm starting a, the hundred day of Replit challenge. So I do now have I, I, I now have GitHub and it's going to show me committing and, and I like it. Uh, <laughs> I did make an architecture uh, idea the other week or the other day, which I'm still making fun of the team. But yeah, I, I was not smart enough to study CS. I, I have tremendous amount of respect for people who who, who do it. Um, I studied history and economics. Do you mean you weren't smart enough in that like the math was over your head or smart enough in the like foresight to know that that would have been much more valuable? <laughs> I think the like I remember I finally took a CS class like my senior year. And Brian's taking a picture. Oh, there we go. Oh, okay. We're, we're good. We don't need to. I, I remember like one of the early classes to, to, to take for econ you have to you have to do this class somewhere called math 51 it's like notorious it's like multivariable calc and linear algebra fuck all of that yeah it's not fun and i you know got through it 
and yeah. it, it was fun. Like I did totally well in class. I'm like, wow, I'm, like that was a waste of time. And then um, week one in CS, and they're like, okay, all of that stuff you learned, we're actually going to use it. And I'm like, if they told me I was actually ready, like I thought I had to take six more classes like that to get there. I didn't realize that I was actually ready. So I think some of it was foresight. I also think some of it, honestly, was I'd taken a few things on the subject in high school. I was not, I was nowhere close to 90th percentile. Like I think I, I could have done decent. You weren't going to be a 10Xer? I was not going to be a 10Xer. Yeah. And so I think to me it was uh, like, and part of why I'm doing like an online class now is like, I'm a, I, I want to have empathy for all and I want to, I think it's important, like when I'm skipping ahead, like when I started working in Footprint, I took like online courses in cryptography. Yeah. And I remember the first time I met Alex, he actually like, my, my goal is so that I meet technical people and they think that I can be technical. Um, yeah. Just so they don't think you're a fucking idiot. Yeah, right. Like just fair, a bit of respect. Yeah. I, yeah. And so I've taken cryptography courses. I, I've read, uh, I read like the best non-technical writing on technical concepts. So I really do wish I'd done more CS. But yeah, I think it was a lack of foresight. And then, oh, dude, I, I associate with that so strongly. When after my first startup, my first startup, after the first startup that I worked at, right, Bloom, the four hundred one k robo advisor, uh, the reason that I left that company, and now that it got bought by Morgan Stanley for fucking pennies, I feel comfortable talking about it more openly. Um, but the reason I left that company was because there was not a lot of internal understanding of how product could lead to growth and how one could actually build product that that could could lead to more users because of the product, not because of the marketing. And there was just like this, and that's not exactly what we were talking about, but there was this like disconnect of understanding in terms of product, in terms of software, in terms of just building very basic things, like an ins, like just, you know, where are we being hosted? Like, I remember at one point something went wrong and my CEO like stepped out of the office and like the website had gone down and he's like, fucking MailChimp went down again. And it's like, we are not hosted on MailChimp. Like you really do not understand. Like, you know, it was like very, 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 very incorrect just thing to be upset about. It was just case in point across the board. Um, but I left and ended up doing a year as a outsourced product manager, literally to learn. Like I knew I would never be able to be a developer. And that for me, I think is actually like a, a mental horsepower thing, not a choice thing. Um, just that's not how my brain works. But like to your point, everybody that is working on that side of the business, like at least make a fucking effort to understand the other side of the business. You're going to be much more dangerous and actually have a lot more fun with it too like you can get more creative if you understand those perspectives or if you understand those frameworks and whatnot completely agreed yeah it's i mean worth its weight in gold to go one percent deep instead of zero percent it seems like yeah i also think there you can have a proper amount of naivete uh, sure of kind of you you can under you you, you can sometimes it's better to explain a concept 80 percent of the way than 99 yeah like alex and i talk about we use these things called nitro enclaves to store the data and in a way, my much simpler understanding can be better on sales calls because uh, I'm not speaking yeah. to people who have worked with, you know, securely gapped compute environments a lot of the time. So, so I, but I agree. I think that having that level of understanding, I, I wrote a whole investor update about the rehearsal, Nathan Fielder show yeah. about how it's very easy to think that like things are part of your story. And I, I don't think, I don't think it's true. Like, it, like it's true, but everybody's living their own life and. I think, yeah, having that mutual understanding, it just goes a long way. There's a reason why uh, on, you know, on a, on a call, you'll get to know somebody and you, you should get to, you should understand your code base of it and, and you should know that. Yeah. At least be able to speak to it. Like yeah. one of the things that freaks me out the most is if I'm talking to a CEO and I ask a very basic question, they're like, I need to ask my CTO. Or they're like, I need to ha- ask my head of IT. And then I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. like, why the fuck? <laughs> I thought I was talking to a startup. Like, what the <laughs> hell is going on here? Uh, yeah, it's at least at least know a little something, folks. That's the takeaway. Know That's, a little something. Know a little something. Maybe go to Philadelphia. Yeah, maybe. maybe I'm, I'm not going to go that far. I'm not. That seems that seems just like unsafe we'll, advice. We'll see if they phone in during this non-live stream. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we'll see if this comes back to to smash a table over our head not bite us that feels like a more philly version of it is to smash the table um okay so what happened between stanford and and uh footprint so when i was at stanford i think we started undergoing this change in how we viewed big tech Mm -hmm. 2016 election happened like on a macro like the world Yeah, 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 yeah 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 we had the cambridge analytica scandal and everybody started being like oh 
maybe this stuff isn't good, which agree, good take. But then we we went from the total, we went from everybody be on Farmville and like, this is great to like freaking out. Like nobody should be on tech. Like yeah. don't, don't use Facebook. And then we started, we would, GDPR happened in Europe in 2018. CCPA passed in California in 2018, went into effect a year later. What I thought was really interesting was during this time I was becoming a privacy nerd and everybody, you know, people were like, sure. And then I read the laws as one does. I took like a law school class on data, like on like these. It was it was peak. I was embarrassed. Like I didn't even tell people like um, they're like, what do you mean? Like on campus, like you went in and did the whole kind of like, yeah, Stanford kind of has that vibe of like you can audit. You can audit. Yeah. Yeah. So this was like, yeah, I'm not proud of this. This. Why are you not proud of this? No, I'm very proud of it. It was. It, like don't get me wrong, I'm ex- I'm exceedingly proud of this because it worked out. But like, there but is it's a, not getting you a there, lot of dates. There, yeah, there is a scenario where it's like, Eli, what are you doing Friday night? Reading, cl- reading our rights to the lesion in the country. Like, like but I, I loved it. It was a great time, and, and I, I was all excited the first time I read GDPR. I'm like, this is gonna be the elixir, and I read it. And I'm like, this, is, I don't think this helps, and, hmm. and, and I, you know. It, there are a lot of reasons why I think that the, the, they're, they're well-intentioned, but <laughs> that doesn't go for a lot. Well, it, it was just a blanket reaction. To me, those laws were, okay, we don't want Google. We want DuckDuckGo. And like, respect to DuckDuckGo. But to, all of these laws started painting privacy as deletion. Mm-hmm. It was privacy as, if your data is in place A, it is not going to place B. So for consumer companies, that it's hypocritical, but it, it, like Twitter blew up because you know, it's connect with your Facebook friends. Uh, Clubhouse technically committed all of these GDPR violations when they brought in your your, your phone contacts because you didn't have the consent of those people for them to appear in the app. It seems like all of these new social platforms are violating a they're lot. They're all violating it. Like they're all violating it. And yeah. nobody's going to call them out, which I think is bad law. Like it, three, it's one thing if like it's an eighty-year-old law, and we're—I mean, it's not one. I'm, I'm not encouraging. <laughs> Let's clarify. I'm not encouraging breaking laws, but I think it shows a poorly written law if two years in. But, but more so to me, privacy is control. I, I speak a lot about Apple versus Facebook, and we all say Facebook's villain, Apple's good people when it comes to privacy. Apple's really good when it comes to privacy marketing. I, I think Apple actually is way more of our data. Uh, they have our credit cards if you use yep. Apple Pay. They have a lot of health information if you use Apple Health. And we're all okay with that because privacy, to me, as we see, privacy is actually control. Like the way bigger upside of the internet is when we have people like Apple who we trust with our data, letting them do things with it. Then Facebook, I, I think their their big mistake was they just weren't honest. Yeah. They, Facebook should have said, we don't sell your data. We do target advertising where we sell access to audiences of people who look like you. Mm-hmm. These are the attributes we do it on. But they didn't do it. They like pretended like we don't know. It was like shrug emoji. And then they did their whole, well, we do advertisements for small businesses, which is true. Like they do democratize that. But like that's not, everybody knew that Mark Zuckerberg didn't get in the game so he could help Main Street advertise to people. Like that, right. that, that he figured out that's a good way to make money. But right. uh, as a result of this, I, I just think I'm really obsessed with what I saw as privacy as not deletion, but control. And I say like, my biggest point with Google isn't what they do with my dad, it's what they don't do with it. Google's probably the best predictor in the world of who'll get Parkinson's. They know that from your recapture tests and your finger tremors, your typer rate over time, there's no HIPAA compliance on Gmail, they probably labeled that as have you email your family got sick. And I had a family member get Parkinson's and I just became obsessed with this idea of figuring out, well, how do we put people in control of their data? Mm-hmm. And I spent the rest of my time in school studying this from a bunch of different angles, uh, graduated, worked in venture capital for a bit where I looked at a lot of companies in space. And, and along the way, I realized that for people under that, they had to own their identity. It, it was the fundamental building block of it. There are a lot of attempts to try to get all of these credentials in, in like this idea of like what you do. But to me, the only way you can start is with your identity from both a business model standpoint and yeah. just a effectiveness standpoint. Like to the root of it, right? Like exactly. to the one universal identity that is valid and can take you across borders, can take you into the doctor's office, can get you a credit card, can get you everything all at once, all the time, that kind of thing versus this disjointed world that we live in today. Bingo. Enter footprint. Enter footprint. All right. So we got there. So the next piece that we kind of started to talk about a little bit was the technical bit. So how did you meet Alex and how much of an unlock was that? Because that fuck is wild. Yeah, that was a big unlock. Uh, Alex, Alex Grimman is my co-founder. He's the best. Um, 
it's kind of funny how we met. A lot of companies will, you know, if you're raising eight years ago, you probably got asked, what if Google or Facebook does that? And if you're raising in fintech in the past couple of years, you're probably going to get a version of what if Stripe does this? Right, or Plaid. Or, or Plaid, the classics. I'm very grateful Stripe launched an identity product in that uh, I'd been working on this and um, Alex, who has an incredible background, he's brilliant, um, grew up building apps from a young age. He, he built something in middle school to track buses in Boston in real time and sold on the app store and has like a 14-year-old was getting emails of people who missed their buses and then goes to MIT, studies cryptography, does his master's as his advisor, created the zero-knowledge proof, graduated. Oh, I you told me that over drinks one time. That's the craziest thing in the world. Yeah, his you're, advisor you're, invented the zero-knowledge proof. Yeah, Turing Award winner. And I think, oh, I think he told me he was like the only undergraduate advisor she'd like taken. Uh, and What? Yeah, and then his master's was on doing NLP on encrypted patient data. So it's actually, which is even way more complex than that we deal with at Footprint. He, he was essentially taking How like notes from- How can you do from, NLP on <laughs> encrypted fucking date? Like, yeah, it was like taking notes from doctor's offices. And like, it, 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 it's incredible. It, it's it's a wild conversation. Wow. We'll, we'll on. And, and then he graduated. He built something in the, he built essentially with Yubico keys. It, it was mobile off, but it, it's almost FIDO2 before FIDO2 is a thing. Like yeah. Alex tried to will FIDO2 into existence <laughs> and, and then it, it, it got acquired by Alex and he built their, their MFA product, which now competes with like Duo and Okta. But um, in parallel with when I was doing my my, my stuff around Footprint, uh, Stripe, Stripe releases an identity product at the end, uh, you know, shout, like love Stripe. A lot of like we should work together. They're interesting things. But Stripe. Did you hear that, Stripe team? Yeah, we're we're fr- I don't want the mafia to come after me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you, you have to give the disclaimer. You 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 read the twi- the threads on Twitter, and I don't I don't want to wake up in the Hudson River tomorrow. Uh, so you know, the Collins and Brothers very. Hand- I mean, Patrick's a regular listener for sure. Patrick, jo- John's, you yeah, know, I'm sure they listen all the time. Yeah, they're handsome. They're very kind, respectable people. So yes, very let's handsome. Get that, let's yes. very handsome. Yeah. So let's get that out of the way. Um, but Stripe was an identity product and Stripe's identity product wasn't Stripe for identity. It was a pretty basic swing. It was, let's just bundle identity in our other stuff. So let's do identities. Everybody does identities today. And as Alex says, it was kind of a mess. Like Stripe would have been in the way, Stripe still is <laughs> in a better position to do what Footprint wanted to do. Yeah. And that Stripe was already embedded in all of these places. Um, so Alex I'm really proud of him for this. He, he sent a cold email to Pat Collinson. I, I, Alex says my background's in technology. I say my background's in cold emails. So I was really proud of Alex <laughs> for sending a cold email. And he sent a cold email to Pat being like, hey, I, 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 respectfully, I think you guys are do, like building this wrong. Like this is a this is like the tech specs of how I would build an identity product, like to make it federated. I'm curious if you've thought about this. Like, let me know if like you'd want me to come in and like talk with the team, like would be really interested. And Pat didn't reply and shocking shocking yeah uh yeah we're we're waiting to bump the email uh but then (laughs) alex uh alex texted a friend who worked at stripe about it okay and and simultaneously i'd begun speaking to investors one of whom was index who ended up leading our seed round and they introduced me to alex's friend right around like this like within two weeks and uh i met him um adam eagle awesome guy he's building a company called beam now and he like said, you have to meet my friend, Alex. Uh, and within five minutes of meeting Alex, we just clicked on like everything, like completing each other's sentences. It was very beautiful. Uh, it makes sense. You both talk very quickly and you both will not uh, <laughs> will not be able to get through a conversation without going down some rabbit hole that relates to something that most people around you don't understand. Yeah, I can get really nerdy really quick yeah. on a bunch of different stuff. I, I, my YouTube algo, I love it. It, 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 uh, it sounds like a nightmare. Oh, yeah. It sounds so confusing. I, I, I was watching something last night about like, I won't bring you into it. it was yeah, uh, it's every, but, everything but, from Kill Tony all the way over to, <laughs> to nuclear physics. It I'm was, sure. was great. But yeah, so uh, Alex, I mean, uh, it, it was, I mean, it made, so, so bringing to then what I say, I wrote a whole investor update called This Isn't New. Um, I write really long investor updates. They're the office. Talk a little bit about your investor updates because I think what, at some point I'm going to make you tell the Sam Merrill story and all that about yeah. uh, you know, the stand-up comedy world. But talk a little bit about your investor updates because I think, one, I think people, a lot of founders think of them as like something you have to do, which is true. But I think a lot of them think of it as a uh, a burden. Yeah. You I, know? I think it's real. I mean, going back to 
and one, I think you have to do your strengths. I mean, I, I, I study history because I love history and like, yeah. I love writing. And like, I think if you were to, I think when we read things about people, it's just we pattern match. So like, if Sony were to be like, you like studied history is because he likes pattern recognition and that's why he writes. Like, that's not really true. Like, I think it's correlation, not causation. But I love writing. And I think I've, I, I, it's how I have always loved communicating. And, and to me, yeah, I saw investor updates as upside. It was like, I have a fairly captive audience who, gen, who is physically invested in what I'm doing. Um, but more so, I view it as our whole thing is building trust. And I say, if people are going to trust me at their social security number, they probably deserve to get to know me. They likely will not like what they find, but they deserve that chance. And from the beginning, I started writing these long updates, not really about the business. Um, things like dreams and failure. I, I try to talk about things that are taboo and that I think this isn't, I wasn't even doing this at the time, but it was just very authentic. Like I wanted to write about failure, but we also, I think, looking back, are in an age where companies were perfect, and now we know they weren't. Right. And I actually think it's way more powerful to own a negative narrative because that's also how you can get helped. But I do things that I've like a, a, an investor leaderboard at the bottom, where I've, <laughs> I have a point system of updates I'm looking of like intros I'm looking for, and people get really competitive. Like I get all of my intros like when I send it out, and like there's, that's fascinating. There's there's not much. Of, I send a plus did you, penguin. Did you learn that from someone, or is that just like you kind of pull that out of your ass? I just. I feel like I'd heard it. Well, GA, when I was there, I, com I, we had, there was a company that had a, a leaderboard for comfort board, like revenue generated and the winner got a bottle of wine. Okay. So it was a bit more advanced than like, I remember someone being like, our seller is very nice here. I don't think that was true, but but <laughs> I, I, I remember that. And, and that led to, to this. And, and I also then think about the updates. One, they become an amazing recruiting tool. It's crazy to me how many recruits I speak to who have read the updates. And, and just get forwarded from investors or like how do no, the... they did, well if they're on the website they'll read oh, them. i forget that you put them i publish them. yeah you publish them i, I forget about that yeah i publish them i'm like to me bill i publish every we have, we have a public pricing page which is controversial in the identity space yeah but but to maybe bring things for, i i also think about them as you know I, it, when we when we speak to investors i think what we're doing is is a bit different and i kind of know the quite i i have a gist of i think what are good questions like one to me is like what if Apple does this? So I wrote a whole update about, it's like a 15 minute read about Apple and identity and why like, I don't think they're a threat, why they could be. And I'm pretty honest about that. And I wrote one about footprints, not a new idea. When you start something, you want to be like, I am a visionary. I'm Steve right. Jobs. Right. Like I pulled this out. Footprint is one of the older ideas for DNA. It's been around for arguably 20 years. What I say is different about us. And this is going to go crazy full circle from like, I'm finally going to answer your last three questions. <laughs> it, it is there are two new pieces of technology that came out in the past two years. One is Amazon released this thing called Nitro Enclaves, which they spent probably close to a decade, close to $100 million building, which are these incredibly securely gapped compute environments, which is where we store people's data. And we're the fifth company to successfully build on them. Alex almost joined one of the other four to become their CTO. Uh, like wow. Alex, Alex is uniquely uh, positioned to, to build them. Uh, and as Alex says, like we wouldn't have felt comfortable from a security perspective building footprint before Enclaves release. So that's one. Two wow. is because it's been tried before. Been I mean, tried. The, like, not only is this idea not new, the attempt the attempt is not is new. not new. There's a company called Personal that raised thirty million dollars in two thousand eight to do this. So this attempt has been funded better than Footprint before. <laughs> uh, and, and and the second piece of technology was Fido Two Alliance, which is essentially Apple, Google, the other big tech companies. They've agreed to an interoperability of what Apple's very. They did a rebrand to Pass Keys, right? Which is now essentially, if you want to create an account with footprint with, an, with with a website it's kind of essentially doing face id and you lock pair keys so you essentially one it's cool in that it's anti -fishing. i'm just gonna maintain eye contact with you while yeah. this john's just gonna dance i think he spilled his coffee as he was trying to do that too <laughs> listeners we had a john zanoff interruption apologies it, carry on it, it Sorry, happens. Like. no please so <laughs> it's nice because anti-fishing that you see the key on the other side if it's a real website. Right. And then this becomes a very, un it's unique to the user. It says your face unlocked this. And that's the strong biometric attestation that we can attach to make identity portable. Mm -hmm. And that happened in Q4 of 2022 when Fido2 essentially got released. So for us, it was this perfect timing thing. And, and what I think that enabled though was a different business model. And that if you study the attempts of people who've tried to make identity portable for, it was mostly B2C motions, which doesn't work. Uh, privacy, I think, is something people like to say they care about. Like it, it, it's it's almost something where like it's like, oh, of course I care about privacy, but you don't. Like, and that's fine on like, an individual and a corporate level. Yeah. I think that's true. I think that's true on 
it, a lot of yeah, things. Yeah, a lot it's of easy things. to say it, but like sock, sock too. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a lot of things. Um, but it let us then have a different business model in both. What Footprint does is we help companies onboard their users, KYC, offload the cost and risk of storing the data, PI vaulting, and also credit cards, PCI. And those companies, I think, have philosophically unaligned business models with their goals. Mm-hmm. And these new, two new pieces of technology let us just have a different business model. And, and that's kind of how technology enabled Footprint. This episode of For Fintech's Sake is brought to you by our friends at Navin, formerly Trip Actions. This is one of those partners that gives me FOMO, y'all. I don't get to use Navin at work and after getting to know their team, seeing the product in action and constantly feeling the pain of travel related expenses and expenses in general, which I'm terrible at. This is one product that I truly wish I could use every time I travel or spend money at work. Why? Navin is an all-in-one travel corporate card and expense management solution that provides real-time visibility control and cost savings. Yes, all of those things, one product. It goes way beyond being a global travel agency. We're talking full stack corporate card issuing, payments, expense management, and spend reporting designed for people, not corporations. Yes, that means hold on to your seats, folks. The UX is not terrible. That's right. Believe it or not, it's actually built with the end user in mind. It's actually a joy to use. You know how most software is built to make life easier and you'll be in good company. Brands that use Navin, formerly Trip Actions, as I mentioned before, to simplify their travel and expense management include Lyft, Heineken, Okta, Toast, and so many more. Learn more at navin.com. So let's talk about the business model because this is something that you actually are willing to talk about. And mm-hmm. uh, it's not something that I'm able to get a lot of people to talk about. Yeah. So tell us one, I mean, how you make money. Um, and then two, like, I mean, I guess compare and contrast it against kind of like the standard in the market because that's to your point about having a public pricing page. Most of the market is not that way. And granted, I guess when you get into like enterprise levels, there's going to be whatever, but like, Talk yeah. about that. We, yeah. So, so t- t- I think that I have two pretty fun blog posts about KYC. One is, I think philosophically, every I think for fraud companies, their business model is fraud. It, I think KYC companies today they make money when fraud happens because then their business model is essentially selling upsell modules at KYC. Mm-hmm. They make money that count onboarding. They're I'll share. This isn't what I learned in economics, but I have to feel like I got a useful degree. So, like, their maximum like utility curve for profit is charging a lot for onboarding. Right. And what this leads to is they look for bad actors because it's like, hey, I found this fraud rink. I'm doing my job. Like, we should get more. The tough thing with looking for bad actors is there's an infinite amount. Like, me and you, we could just spend the rest of the pod making thousands of synthetic identities. Yeah. However, me and you are unique people <laughs> we, we, in many senses. In many, and, and, more than one. And, and we, there's only one Zach that matches your name, date of birth, address, social security number, right. and biometrics. To me, we have to move to an ecosystem of labeling good actors, which may not be the incentive of a company that makes money from selling modules of niche fraud, like, like the extra edge case. Yeah. So that's, that's one. And then on the other side, I speak about standardization. You know, I think KYC today looks like banking in the 1800s. Back then, every bank in the US issued their own banknotes. So there mm-hmm. are over 8,000 banknotes in circulation. As you may expect, there is a lot of counterfeiting. There is a lack of trust. There is a lack of cohesion. There's a reason we only have seven banknotes today. But today with KYC, not only each time you do it is it a different form, which is confusing. Each time Companies enough to figure out how to store this data, right? Which is a mess. I, I've yet to find an upside scenario for storing a social security number. We've been at this for some time. It's just a lot of cost and risk, and same or thing, the upside of storing it in fucking multiple places. That's the thing that like, it, continues to blow my mind all it, the time. It's remarkable. And like Robinhood and Coinbase, fun fact they 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 would like to see the same data. Uh, like yeah. no, nobody's looking. Like I, I think it's interesting too. The other thing is you know so like we try to. We let companies customize over 80 things. It's going to feel like your native UI. But the form's pretty much standardized. Because to me, if your competitive advantage is your KYC flow, that's not a competitive advantage. Like KYC should onboard users quickly and efficiently. It should not be a 
fun like we have a dazzling we have very good ui we we, we want to have a stripe like developer experience but well you want to be dazzled by the simplicity right you, you want to be dazzled exactly. by not thinking about it exactly yeah. exactly so what this all leads to is we do we onboard users offload costs and risk of storing it as a result our goal is labeling the good actors to me the only way you can find the bad actors so find the good actors because we know how many good actors there are yeah it leads to some discussions we were having before which we'll, which we'll probably get to so how footprint makes money is the following everybody that we onboard we charge 50 cents, two credits, each credit's 25 cents. Then we charge a credit a person a year for storing the data. Okay. This is much cheaper than what's in the market today for both. Um, on the KYC side I spoke about, for, for the vaulting solutions out there, they charge per decrypt, which I think is wild. They, 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 I mean, everybody charges you to use their technology. That's obviously inherent. Yeah. But we don't think that like, it should be like we, we think you build technology so people can use it and, and it yeah. becomes prohibitive. So, and then we charge more. Incentive wise, I guess that kind of makes sense. I mean, because you're using compute in order to decrypt, but I also understand what you're saying in terms of like that's not actually like the utility that's being provided is not yeah. being charged for. It, exactly. Yeah. It, it makes sense. Um, so, so for us, what we, what's cool about Footprint is that that means that we think. But when, by solving security, by, by storing that and getting paid to store it because it's valuable, what we then do is we make your identity portable. So the next time you go to create an account, because Footprint is storing this and granting access to company A to your data. Yep. Then when you go to create an account with company B, it's as simple as typing in your email, doing face ID, and we grant company B access to a vault of your data. What's cool about that is the following. One, we are reducing the amount of copies of your data in the ecosystem. Yep. Two, we're enriching the picture of your identity to enterprises because we're now saying Zach is a good actor across two accounts. And three, we are essentially kind of, in, in addition to these feedback loops, it, it, it now is kind of, today, everything would be in a vacuum. So if real Zach signed up for company A, in fact, fake Zach signed up for company B, nobody would know because it's two independent processes. The nice thing about Footprint is the second fake Zach emerges, we know, I, I call it the duel. Uh, which is that only one of you can keep your identity. Well, so, that's the scariest part about identity theft, right? Like that is the the solve for identity theft straight away. Exactly. Yeah. So that's when we make money. And then we charge more for one click, which is the frictionless because that 2x is your conversion. So if your LTV is more than $3.50, uh, footprint one click becomes a good good deal. So, but that would that would be for company B though, right? Company B. So yes. company A would charge you, company A would experience the fifty cents for the two credits up front to and get you identified. Then twenty-five cents a person a year for security, and then a dollar a person a year if you're doing PCI vault proxying. Uh-huh. And then company B, it's two dollars for one click, and then same twenty-five cents. The cool little wrinkle is that company A, we give you back the cost of onboarding the next time somebody one clicks. So we give you back fifty cents that you can apply for future KYC or vaulting. So what we say is, yes, you don't get the benefit of one click, but you essentially get free KYC if you onboard the users for us. And you are probably developing the brand Halo associated with like, oh, I did this the first time here, and then I was able to take it to this all. I mean, even it's probably they don't understand the technology. So if they sign up for, they go through the process on Coinbase or whatever, go through it on company A, uh, then even if they didn't get to go through it on A, when they do get to have that experience on B, they're like, oh shit, that thing I did on A was amazing. And that, like I have brand affinity there now to some degree. We think it's all about, tra- users can, if they want, I don't expect any of this, but you can log into Footprint and see who's accessed your data, who's viewed your data and for what reason. Um, we think that actually boosts onboarding too. Like 30 people say they won't sign up if they don't know what's going to happen to their data, which goes to kind of what I was saying earlier about like Facebook. Like just tell people what's happening. Yeah. And that's why we have IM, we have internal dashboards. And like we make uh, users in an enterprise give the reason why they're accessing data. So we actually know like it's like, okay, person A at an HRS company is accessing this because somebody changed their direct deposit. That, that yeah. sounds reasonable. But we can also see like, Okay, now this person's trying to see 10 people. It, so we can yeah. see that as well. So if I extrapolate out like the most successful version of Footprint, right? I think about like if you just you take over the world, it seems as if you at that point would be sitting on one of the most valuable troves of data that could exist in the entire world and basically have better data on pretty much everything, like better than the federal government. Not that they know how to organize their data, but they have a lot of it, Um, like the best data in the world. And is the argument that you're better positioned to be that one for a lot of the privacy and like decryption and like not decryption, but a lot of the encryption oriented pieces of who Alex is and like that whole side of things. But is it also just like nitro enclaves did not exist. Now they do. 
and the the security thereof, the nitro enclaves, and just like the infrastructure that did not exist before, gives us that sense of security. Like, how do you? I guess how do you like? How do you feel comfortable being that behemoth? Eventually, granted, you got some bridges to call, cross before you get there. Oof, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, I think any if I were to sit here and say we got it locked down, like everything's fine, we'd be lying. I think the the honest answer is that we are reducing the the vectors that are out there for your identity to be attacked and, and i think that's the first thing you know so before we even get onto the bet on on enclaves it is one a bet that reducing your data is good in, in that today mm-hmm. fraudsters you know i, I also speak about like four per month increase the cost of fraud to fraudsters that's why we talk about linking beneficial owners to their identity and if you create a business that creates business theft that should impact your identity but on the flip side, today, your identity is in so sense. many places that fraudsters just go to the easiest place to commit fraud. Yeah. And hackers go to the easiest place to, to get identity. So if Footprint is a really tough place, say your data just is really stupidly simple terms. Like if your data is in one really tough place to hack versus 20 easier places to hack, Footprint's storing the same data that any of those 20 companies would be storing. Right. So you know more people will be trying. It's We don't have like different data. It's pretty much the same. So we think just on a pure baseline level, before you even want to get into the enclaves, that it's fundamentally a safer bet for people just due to that reason. That makes sense. That makes sense. And so when you were referring to the ability to log into Footprint, at the beginning of this conversation, a lot of it was, you know, people think of this whole world of privacy as the right to be forgotten. Is that a piece of it as well? A hundred percent. Yeah. If that's what you want to do, do it. If my if i kind of would like to create an ecosystem where other parties can earn trust to to do things for you in the enclaves with your data and if that becomes valuable to you great um i think it's about control and optionality yeah makes sense okay so tell me about how you think the like competitive landscape is developing in your world specifically right like you've got that we were starting to talk about the pricing war at the beginning of this. I kind of want to come back to that. So you putting the pricing out there, a lot of things like that um, is a little bit of a zig when everybody else is definitely zagging in a slightly more opaque manner. Um, How do you compare yourself, contrast yourself to the alloys of the world, to the, you know, the hundreds, thousands of competitors that you have? It's not a, not a, not busy market. Yeah. And if you, if you go on LinkedIn and you go through your contacts, every 10th will be at a KYC company. That's actually, that feels pretty accurate. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The the one thing also emprising and like, I I don't think it's best thing is we, so we, we, we won't, we think our, our vaulting is a value-based product. Um, That is the best most secure place to store people's identity data. We feel really confident about that. And we'll charge a premium for that because we think that, that that's value. I think part of me making a lot of big claims is I'm also really honest about what I what I don't think is most complex. KYC is really commoditized because every 10th person on your LinkedIn works at a KYC company. Right. I'm not saying it's trivial. It's tough to build good orchestration. I mean, commodities aren't always simple. Yeah. It, I mean, it, that's why there aren't a hundred companies that can do KYC really well. But they're like, you know, half a dozen, if, if not more. And like, it, hats off to all of them. Like, I have a ton of respect for Alloy. Yeah. I think Tom's a great leader. I think they built a really good product. Um, Laura, I think, was my like third guest yeah. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Like, I love them. It's they, so cool they, to see how they've developed and like, especially, I mean, with Laura's background and everything and Tommy's, I mean, I don't know. I just, there's certain people in the world that I'm like, I want them to be rich <laughs> and like, I want Laura and Tommy to be yeah, rich. So I, they, I, and it's a good thing for the world. So they're, yeah, they're, they're great. Like, I, I mean, I honestly think like we can compete with people and root for them. Like that's how yeah. I feel there. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I think though, kind of to then the, the point, like I think KYC is pretty commoditized at this point. One click KYC isn't, but I think KYC is. So for us, that's why we're fine, I think, charging what we do for KYC. We'll eventually, one-click KYC will be premium. Like, one-click KYC will be more than what KYC costs today, but people will be people are very happy to pay that because it actually then is delivering a step-up experience of 50-plus percent more of your users will convert. The way we think about the landscape is that uh, I think there are a lot of companies that have built KYC solutions. There are companies then that have built faulting solutions. So we unify that. We also for credit card and debit card companies, 
Unify Vault Proxying, which is essentially PCI compliance. When you issue a card number, we're able to do that. And then we also do KYB. This idea of, I think it's really important to link beneficial owners to their identity. One, it's nice to make KYB a bit more portable. But two, I think that these things can exist in vacuums, like from, from a fraud perspective. The way we well, view... that, I mean, also pulling on that thread a little more, you solve that problem or not even solve that problem, but like you run far enough down that road, you're starting to really make a dent in money laundering, right? Yeah, I, I think that's true. I, I think that, in you know, KYC and fraud today are very disjointed um, because KYC often can be checking boxes and fraud can be then running a lot of tools. Yeah. And, and I think... Our approach is let's build in. We're not. We don't. We don't claim to be a fraud company, but I think we actually do more fraud than most KYC companies, j- just by virtue of the biometrics we're getting and, and actually yeah. what we link. Yeah. And, and I think that when you look at us versus other people in the market, the way we think, like we're very honest. Footprint, the footprint that we just spoke about, like being the super valuable company with data, that's a that's a network effect footprint. Right. To me, the network effect starts somewhere between, like it's around one and a half million portable identities, probably. Because at that point, you can go to big enterprise companies and pretty much guarantee a meaningful amount of LTV a year. Yeah. Um, to me, to get there, though, what I've said from the beginning is part of the reason why I think some people have failed at trying to build this is that they built a company and sold a network effect. We're not going to get a single sale if we sell a network effect that doesn't benefit somebody. Right. So that's why I think Footprint is a better company for many buckets. If you're a new company and you haven't integrated yet, Footprint is five lines of code to integrate. I say, and I mean it, we will send Alex to your place of work, coffee shop of your choice. We'll integrate in the afternoon. Other solutions take weeks to integrate, sometimes purposely. Yeah. Like they want to act like KYC is more complex. Like they want to give you this choose your own adventure novel when it shouldn't be. We are way quicker developer experience. We're better user experience. Instead of doing a, a, a selfie scan and like a driver's license scan, which is very spoofable as a default and expensive, we use Face ID. We're the only company that does it. We think it's about 25% quicker. As a result, we You're think the it's the most seamless. only company that does that? That's wild. We're, for KYC, we're the only one that uses Face ID currently. Now, part of that is because Face ID, it, it's, it's essentially free to us. Any, it's not trivial to do, but you can tap into it. Other people, if their revenue is from onboarding, they don't want to move from a driver's license scan and a selfie and a liveness check, which they charge 80 cents for a dollar for to something for free. So it's a better oh. user. That's that's why they won't do it. it, it it's that they 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 make a lot oh, of they make a, before Face ID came out to do in Q4. The best way to do it was a selfie scan. And companies that, that, that I won't mention, like they made a lot of money from that. But now we have a way more accurate way to do it. It's also cheaper, and they don't want to move to that. The so, unwillingness to disrupt ourselves. It's so funny how fintech has gotten like now that we're whatever 10, 12, 13 years old, depending on how you calculate it, like. The, the reaching puberty and starting to like do things like this, you know, reaching puberty and starting to decide that, oh, well, we do have a cash cow in that one specific area. Like, yes, we were founded on all of these ideas of innovation and doing the right thing for the consumer and this and that and the other. But like 80 cents per. Yeah, let's just leave it how it is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that's wild that we have reached because those are fintech companies so we're not talking about you know the we're not talking about the fins yeah we're talking about heavily techs and yeah. they are not disrupting themselves or even willing to like think yeah. about it in a lot of situations totally it's like that's why i think we have better user experience and th- the security piece i think is real like we speak to companies that have a lot of pain with either current solutions or building their own vaulting and unifying the two is important because it, currently even if you do those two separately you don't have a tool to connect them like right. pay for like so we dramatically un- simplify your stack, unify it, and then we get you this feedback loop. So we think it's real. It's more accurate. It's more secure. It's quicker. It's cheaper. All of that before there's a network effect. Yeah. And then once the network effect picks up steam, things I mean, fun. things get really fun. Yeah. Really fun. I mean, do you think from your perspective is the growth pers- the growth potential of footprint larger in financial services or other? whatever other might be healthcare. I don't know. It seems like there's a plethora. There, there, there is. Um, I think it's heavy in financial services for now. Well, sure. Um, I mean, over like, uh, over, like over, let's say again, like the yeah. you're hyper successful, all the things go right 20 years from now. So I think at that point, then the answer starts to become the idea of every, like other things become fintechs. Right. So that's how footprint becomes valuable there. Yeah. 
Um, fintech in the world and all that. I knew you were going to bring it back to that. fintech in the world. Yeah, we're not dead yet. Up 26% Q1 in that. Yeah, shout out. But um, <laughs> I, I think... So I think that's kind of answer one. I, I, I think answer two is like, we're not there yet, so we don't even spend as much time. Like, I think it'd be a, I think it'd be a bad use of my time, like a bad use of, like, if I was thinking about, like, I hope we can do things in healthcare. Yeah. Like, that's really, like, I would, the, uh, Apple health stories inspire me. Like, I spoke about a family, like, um, like I, I remember, like, my, my grandma, like, she was this incredible person. She she had cancer three times. I found out she had stage four ovarian. It was, like, a six-month oh, life expectancy. Yeah. She lived for over nine years, like, most optimistic person I ever knew. And after she she died, after she passed away, there something came out about, like, they actually figured out the the gene that 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 led to it, and there's something that, that they could have done. And, like, this goes, like, I do have an obsession with figuring out, like, are there are there ways that we can actually, like, do studies to figure out, like, if people have different things? And, like, I don't know if that means, like, you know, like, once, we, like, wading into, like, the HIPAA world in healthcare, like, if footprints at scale, I'd be fine having loss leaders to do things like that. Yeah. And I, uh, like, just, like, I'm not smart enough to build our current text. Like, I, I know what that yeah. looks like, but those are things that definitely excite me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think when you and I were having drinks, we were talking about folding at home. And I think we talked about some of the just kind of like distributed computing stuff, the MIT and Stanford and like, um, not my work computer, money 2020, don't worry. <laughs> um, but my personal computer, I have working on folding at home and working on the Alzheimer's problem, right? Like yeah. just kind of allowing some of my compute at night to go towards that. And like, I think things along those lines from a like private or public company transfer standpoint is is very very interesting have you ever heard of triple blind did we ever talk about them yeah yeah i thought we had that conversation yeah that's one of the things about them that really excites me is that that ability for the algorithms to the most important algorithms in our world to be able to go out and actually like have the data that should be run on them run on them mm -hmm. to that point and solve these fucking problems in a way where we can remove a little bit of the capitalism since nobody can reverse engineer and all that kind of a thing so 100 percent. yeah yeah interesting okay so a couple different things that i still want to talk about one uh is our shared love of comedy and Tell me a little bit. Well, tell tell me the story of the first time that you did stand up, because I think it's uh, yeah. it's, it just goes. It's it's kind of like almost part of your founding story. I think <laughs> I think it says a lot about who you are as a person. Yeah, I I've I have a favorite. One of my favorite comics is Sam Morell. Yep, and he he has a story in in an early special about how he he had plans to go out one night, but his neighbors were breaking up and he could hear it through the walls and it was too entertaining. So he stayed in and he he said, you know, they got in this argument. So he finally goes up and knocks and says, hey, long time listener, first time knocker. And, and <laughs> it it was because they're having a dispute, which I, I can't say on air. And, and he says, I'll settle this for you both. And, and during the pandemic, Sam was doing shows on, on roofs just to practice new material. So I DM'd him and said, hey, long time listener, first time DMer. Yeah. And I invite him to come over and he, he agrees. So he comes and uh, I, I, you know, my friends the night before were like, you, you should open for him. And I'm like, all right, sure. I'm like, let's do it. Uh, so Sam comes. Had you been on stage before? Like have like public speaking experience? I, I done public. I, I gave like, I, I, I done like three, like I, I gave two TEDx talks and like another. Oh, OK, one. cool. Yeah. Uh, on like there one was on like athletic recruiting in u.s <laughs> colleges sure it, it was where did you develop that perspective <laughs> yeah it's a long story but okay. what, what, what i'll say about that is it starts with an anonymous quote from a d1 soccer coach and then that d1 soccer coach ended up being the yale soccer coach who got exposed in like the varsity blue scandal oh, okay, so yeah. i like to say i was ahead of the i was ahead of the game there in okay. breaking that story and another was on essentially like how U.S. schools have become more segregated than they were when MLK died and the problems with that. Um, oh, that's, yeah, And then feels very true. And then a final one, it was something, I, I, a speech I gave in Indian high school about uh, like technology and like usability to do stuff. Yeah, of course full, you did. Full Honestly, that's not surprising it, at all. I hate that in that there's, my jokes weren't good, but I promised the jokes I gave and that some people did laugh at and the audience <laughs> isn't mic'd and it sounds so brutal. Um, <laughs> so I, I had done things like that. I'd never done stand up before. And then, you know, like I, I was told maybe somebody I had a crush on was going to go. So I was excited to, 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 to give. You're them. excited to bomb in front of someone that you wanted to ask out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, that way, like it, it, it wouldn't get worse. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, like yeah. And yeah. That, it would set it for a bar. So. But yeah, so um, I go and, and, and I open for Morell. I, I do this 
I, I think my bit was about how I think uh, getting catfished uh, isn't the worst thing in the world. Not speaking from personal experience, hypothetically, sure, because. You know, like I was like, you know, like at least it's very trans. You, you you have you have closure at the end. You know what happened. Versus there's some relationships we're in where we don't really know it's gone down. And yeah, after you know, I was speaking with Merrell's people, and they're like, "How long have you been in stand up?" And I was like, five and a half minutes." And they're like, "Oh, you're, you're pretty good." And, and that, that's kind of how it started. And that's you know, like, hilarious. Catfishing's I'm, better than ghosting or something. Yeah, yeah, I think it's true. Yeah, you, you you're you, yes. I I I don't need to be yes, but. Uh, <laughs> I don't need. I mean, it is a therapy session. Like yeah, we can go there yeah, if you want. It's yeah. not. I mean, it's not relationship well, therapy unless you want it to be. Zach, I've been meeting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so that's, that's, and then yeah, I, I love doing stand up. I I as we discussed, I have a pretty dark humor, and like I I find it very therapeutic. Yeah, I appreciate you hiding it through most of this interview. By the way, it's <laughs> it's been good. I'm, I'm impressed by by how much you've been pushing that deep deep down. Yeah. Well, I have a lot of investors who want to come see me do stand up, and like yeah, like. It's not going to be what you think. Like, like I will not be comparing our go to market. Like, we're not speaking KPIs. We're not talking about frictionless identity. We're talking not that. Um, <laughs> and, and, you don't want to come hear my shit jokes and then give me a large check for the Series A. Yeah, exactly. But I, I love. I, I think stand up one. It's shameless. Two. I think it's radically honest. Like, I yeah. think I think good comedy is just very honest takes about like. Uh, the things that we like doing, the things we find in the world that we find interesting. Totally. Um, so I love doing it. Are there things about it? So I, I get a little philosophical in my love for things like this. Like I get philosophical in my love for weightlifting and my love for rock climbing and my love for stand up. Like, and I think part of my philosophical nature about it is like this, this wanting to create a excuse or some sort of intellectual reason for why I love this thing that I just kind of love. And like, I'm allowed to just love it, but I always want a reason for stand up specifically. Are there things that you feel like that, like doing that, even if I don't, I don't think you get up like all that often, but like every few months or whatever it is, are there things with that that you think, either make you a better CEO, make you a better business person, make, I think there's, it's very obvious how it would make everyone a better person, but specifically to business, do you think there's anything there that's kind of like helped or been cathartic? I don't know. I've always been very self-deprecating in humor. And another like morale quote is like, I'm not a conqueror, I'm a persuader. Um, and, And like, just, every time you say Sam Merrill quote, I just hear him saying it <laughs> with that very just like dry kind of like sidestep towards the mic. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think one, like we all have to be able to, to make fun of ourselves. And like, I think it's very important. I think it also like I'm a very low ego person. And like, I think Alex and I are really good at like, we know what our lanes are and like, we never like, but like then I think it also lets you feel confident being confident, like the things that you, you know, you can do. Yeah. Um, I, I do appreciate that. I mean, I, I also, I, I, I like just separating realms in, in life too. Like when I, when I love working, like I, I probably too much, but like, I love no, yeah, you have it. a problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I actually realized that I'm like, I think I like working even more than I thought. Like it, it was, um, I, I think comedy is fun. Like, you know, I, I go to the gym every day too. And like, to me, like, it's like, I have like that time and it's like, that's just like, I listen to my music, you know, like get fired up for no reason. Like, yeah. and like, I, I view comedy similarly that's just, okay, this isn't a time where we're, even though I did do a bit about like starting a company and like all of that stuff. And like, I share with founder friends, like, I love that bit. Like, I think it's a nice way to actually just like be like, there's a lot of world out there that doesn't involve KYC yeah. <laughs> and it's an equally important world. And like, I, think well, I don't know nice. about that. Well, yeah, shit, fl- plugging KYC, but <laughs> like, I, I think it is nice. So just also like being it, you know, I, I don't think I'd be a fun person to speak with if, if I just did. KYC. <laughs> Maybe you'd be a fun person to speak with. I just wouldn't want to speak for with you for as long. <laughs> I think that's fair. I you think know? that's fair. Yeah. yeah. Were you scared when you got up the first time? And do you still get like nervous or whatever when you get up? Not re- not really. Um, so I'm doing something in LA in a bit of time. I don't know when this will come out, so I'll just say in a bit of time. Or, uh, or next, next next couple few weeks. Next couple yeah. few weeks. And uh it, that one's like will be the lot like that one's gonna be like a 15 minute. And I've, I've never done something that long. Um, that's a chunk, man. Yeah. That's, so, what's the longest you've done? Like probably like eight. Woo, so just casual doubling. Casual du- Yeah. So it's kind of like, I think I have a lot of half written sets uh-huh. or like quarter written. And it, it's actually been kind of fun with this one. Like I, I've, I've known about it for like two months. So it, 
I've I've had things happen in life I'm like oh this can finally connect these two really nicely like even like it's gonna sound weird like they're like even like bad things like oh this is like actually a really good connector now that like I can bring these two together that doesn't sound so weird at all it, I mean I think anybody that's interested in stand up has paid attention enough to know that when bad shit happens it's the best comedy it's great yeah it, it, it's <laughs> it's amazing uh so yeah I'm 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 excited for uh, I'm excited for that one like. I just like new challenges. Like yeah. I'll, I'll like, yeah. Like it, once I do something, I just want to pick like a totally new goal and go get it too. Yeah. So I think this will be fun, and we'll see if it ties together. And I, it will be. I always do stuff in New York too, so I'm I'm pretty excited to do. It. Like the timing has worked out well. We have a team offsite in San Diego, and like, oh, I was perfect. To, I was going to SF after, so yeah, I'm like, yeah I'll, I'll I'll do that. Um, but. It'll, it'll, I'm very excited. I think yeah. it'll be a fun set. Have you ever felt like you really, like, have you ever really killed? And also, have you ever felt like you really bombed? Oh, yeah. Um, Bo- both? <laughs> both. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I, I think what's interesting. So, yeah, the time I bombed, it was uh, it was my bir- my 23rd birthday. Great. And I, I, I was in Brooklyn. We were at uh, kind of like a party. And like, there's just like, like, live stand-up set happening on the street like with like a lot of people my friend's like oh you should just do this and i'm like sure okay. so i just go up and pretty much just riff like a five minutes like like just random stuff around together and it was so bad like it, it was it i was just people were gazing at me like i was talking about nitro enclaves like nobody was <laughs> laughing um but honestly like what i thought was fun about that is a I, I also like I love like electronic music. I'm a huge Avicii fan. Like like Palmieri's investor. Like so like I, I used to DJ. Ben like what, what I think about like music is like when you're when you're DJing you're like playing music. You kind of read a crowd and like you'll change moods. So it's like you played a song that was like more progressive. People don't like it. it's like oh okay, I'm gonna change genres. With comedy, if you're a minute and a half in, it's not landing. Like you're not really if, if you're doing a five minute set, you're not saving it. it so yeah, probably not. At, at that point, I'm just like oh I'm committing. I'm trying out all of the heinous stuff they're going to hate. Which like I actually think you hear a lot of comics say like they're like it's it can almost be fun just to be like I'm not going to tell a joke which I find hilarious which I know you are all going to hate and, and that's kind of what happened it, it was I remember that very vividly and I think for I like making people happy like I think it's very yeah. fun when people laugh I also think it's fun with my humor it, you almost need a bigger group because you almost need permission to laugh yeah. like if I'm one on one with people like I remember I told my mom one of my sets and she's like. Eli, you can't do that. And I'm like, Monster Child, it's, it's good. And she, but like, once you get a group of five or six, hopefully a lot more, like people then look around and they're like, oh, my friends are laughing. I'm allowed to laugh at this. Yeah. And I think that's very fun. I think it's fun seeing people explore their own realms and like lose the confines of society and be like, okay, this is objectively funny. And like, this is making me think too. And like, I I, I have like a, a set like that's like pretty dark. And like, I've like, I have a running count of like friends who've come up to me after me like, yeah, I've like embraced that, and like I'm not proud of it. But like, I, like I, I actually, they like I think it's like a really good point. And like, I think that's really fun. Like that, that to me is good comedy. I mean, I think it's just like continuing to, like continuing to challenge yourself, no matter like if you're a disgusting human the way that you are, and it's you know absolutely gross and horrible and dark, and comes from the you know all of your all of your trauma as a youth, or if it's you know going to the gym and trying to get stronger, whatever it is, like there's something beautiful about that willingness to take a risk like dude i mean i've you know you saw me at money 2020 like i've speak in front of groups of people all the time like it's not a i can't remember the last time i was truly nervous really and i have yet i love stand up and i have yet to actually truly do it and i'm scared shitless it's there's just like something about that like that distinction between getting on stage and doing like a monologue about fintech or like interviewing someone like having this conversation even if it's in front of a thousand people that just is different than trying to make 25 people laugh or 50 people laugh or whatever and it just i don't know what it is but something about that hump is just like really hard for me to get over i don't know yeah it's uh yeah, I don't got much to say. But I love it. You should do it, Zach. We'll get you. We'll get you up on stage. I mean, I one think time. we're we're just gonna have to try it. Slash, we gotta. We're. I, I've been wanting to do a comic night for Money Twenty Twenty or like a comedy night of some it's sort. Fun. So I'm thinking that maybe this year we actually have to like 
find the the few funny people in the industry and i think we could do it. make it make it like fake underground make it compete with like post malone like it's like oh no, I'm yeah yeah on the I'm same good. night the post malone's happening or whatever steve mclaughlin's doing yeah exactly. <laughs> Where we'll do that yeah, at the yeah, same yeah time. exactly yeah no i would i would compete and then that and then that like i know where do i actually think it has to compete because then people are like people are like this comedy that must be sick and then they just see me getting up there talking about my love life and they're like why did i come to <laughs> they're this like, oh god eli's <laughs> like, unhappy I, like, I, I knew been, that already i've been catfished like eli <laughs> 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 that's ridiculous i love it all right so what's what's going on what is up and coming in the world of footprint um like anything news coming down the pike things we should know about slash are you hiring just what what can the yeah. world do to interact and get to know or work with you we're we're now live um you can fill out that's a pretty big statement which Congrats. is thank you it, it's super exciting um it's something that people didn't think like even a lot of people have tried as we've discussed nobody's really built this um, so like I did the first footprint verification a couple of weeks ago. You can now. Yeah. So you out. tweeted that. Yeah. It was, a, it was, it was fun. I won't lie. It was fairly anticlimactic just because I demo this like 10 times a day. Yeah. So then I was just a non-demo format, but I, we have confetti at the end. So you can fill out the last identity. If you're a freak and a nerd like me, not a freak. If you're, if you're a private citizen that wants your identity to be portable, you can go and fill out the footprint form, but you, you hopefully can now start with companies filling out the last identity form of your life. If you're a fintech company and you want a more, if you want less friction, you're onboarding. If you don't want to have to deal with security and compliance of PI data, if you want to save money, if you want to convert more users, we're open for business. Eli at One Footprint, I'll personally onboard you. We'll make a Slack channel tomorrow. Any questions you have, we'll answer. Um, and I think that we hope that we can start bringing companies and, and start truly just building the best onboarding experience and, and solve three problems in one. We have companies that we're speaking to today that We'll be replacing multiple tools with footprint which is great for them it's great for their users your brand is trust and i think that by using footprint you're building that trust beautiful and we're gonna end it there my friend I and we'll it. find all of that in the show notes all right man let's go do uh debaucherous things <laughs> thanks Eli. thanks for having me Thanks for joining the conversation, everybody. Hope you enjoyed our time with Eli. Jump in them show notes for more info on Eli and Footprint. Again, go check out Navin at navin.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and all the other things I'm supposed to remind you to do in your favorite podcast app as the incredibly responsible podcast host that I am. And if you want our weekly emails, go to forfintechsake.com, subscribe there. The emails are sending, folks. It's an exciting time. Until next time, stay healthy, keep your head high, and I love you all.